Welcome to the Public Lands Podcast, where we bring you information, entertainment, and conversation about your public lands and waterways. My name is Mark Peddleton, and I'll be your host today. Today I'm coming to you from Minneapolis as we complete a four-part series on Yellowstone National Park. As you might have heard on the past week's podcast, I visited Yellowstone earlier this month in order to start the year, and I wanted to start with episodes about the world's first national park. Also, a reminder that these first four podcasts each model a student assignment for a class I teach on the topic of environmental communication. The first podcast modeled the discovery assignment, and the second was a news report style piece based on an interview conducted on the topic of a mining controversy just outside Yellowstone. Last week was about advocacy. As I previewed last week, Today's podcast will be an interpretive talk about the geology, ecology, and history of Mammoth Hot Springs in Yellowstone National Park. When park rangers and volunteers use the term interpretation, they're referring specifically to public presentations around and about features in their park. And that can be both spoken word, in person, installations, exhibits, etc., In other words, what we in the general public often refer to as ranger talks. Now, I'm no no ranger. Instead, I'm an anthropologist who studies environmental communication with a focus on sound and music. However, I have learned a lot over the years from guest rangers in the course, informants in my field studies, and, of course, students, which is where, as professors, we learn so much. And some of my students have become park rangers, completing that circle. And so today I will take my own stab at presenting an audio interpretive talk, a virtual tour of the Mammoth Hot Springs area of Yellowstone, with some live sound and lots of notes and materials gathered during my trip to Yellowstone earlier this month. But first, a quick look, as always, at the news. This week's story happens to be about Yellowstone, A federal judge has ruled in favor of those that would like to see stricter regulation of Yellowstone's buffalo in and near the park. Or you could say that the court has ruled in favor of the buffalo, although strictly speaking in the United States, animals do not have standing in court. Normally I put together these news reports based on research, a combination of published news reports and academic journal literature. However, today's news is fairly straightforward, so I'm going to relay the lead-off to an Associated Press story by Matthew Brown, published February 1, 2018. Quote, A federal judge has ordered U.S. wildlife officials to reconsider a 2015 decision that blocked special protections for the iconic bison herds that roam Yellowstone National Park and are routinely subjected to hunting and slaughter. U.S. District Judge Christopher Cooper said in a ruling late Wednesday that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service could not simply pick and choose between conflicting science after the agency rejected a study suggesting the park's bison population might be too small to sustain its two herds. Yellowstone's 5,000 bison make up the largest remaining wild population of a species that once numbered in the tens of millions. Now, I should note that a November 23, 2016 article in PLOS One by Forjax et al. was able to document the dangers of gene drift in a relatively small remnant population, in this case, bison, in Yellowstone. 
and they provided evidence via studies of mitochondrial DNA just why it is so important to keep a large and thriving population of buffalo in the park and surrounding areas. Brown's story features a photograph of buffalo in the Mammoth Hot Springs area, the area of Yellowstone that forms the focus of today's podcast. Hopefully we'll hear more about this issue in future weeks as a new management plan is developed or other legislative or regulatory action is taken to either protect or further restrict the majestic buffalo of Yellowstone. I'll admit to being biased in favor of the buffalo, but then again I work for a public land grant institution whose mission is to promote, protect, and steward public lands. And now back to Mammoth Hot Springs for a walking tour of this fascinating area of Yellowstone National Park. I toured the springs twice to put together this interpretive talk, and am drawing upon park materials in an unusually mild winter afternoon, still above freezing even as the sun starts to recede over the mountains to the western edge of Yellowstone. But plenty of ice and snow remains on the boardwalks and stairs leading up the springs. I'll start the actual tour in a second, but want to provide a few words of explanation for the general audience as well as, as students listening. The presentation is designed to go from site to site along the boardwalk and trails around the Mammoth Hot Springs. Therefore, I'll start each stop with a clear title such as Stop 1, Liberty Cap. We'll start with the lower terrace and then make our way up to the main and upper terraces. Finally, another quick note to students. In order to more closely approximate your interpretive talk assignment, I'm just using my cell phone to record this and not the Zoom field deck I normally use for the podcast. Remember to experiment with your recorder, your distance from the mic, recording space, volume, etc. to get the best sound you possibly can with the equipment that you have. With that out of the way, let's start our tour of Mammoth Hot Springs. Stop 1, Liberty Cap. As you can see, Liberty Cap is an odd rock formation that rises 40 feet up into the air. Like most of the rock formations here in Mammoth Hot Springs, Liberty Cap is made of travertine rock. I'll tell you a little bit more about travertine in a minute as we continue our tour. First, you might be wondering, why is this odd conical tower called Liberty Cap? In 1871, a year before Yellowstone officially became the world's first national park, a geologist by the name of Ferdinand van der Weer Haydn surveyed the area. Haydn had a bit of an imagination overestimating the formation's height by double, and seeing in it the outline of the hats worn during the French Revolution. These Phrygian caps, as they were called, or liberty caps, as they came to be known, were worn by emancipated, emancipated slaves in Rome, and later adopted as a symbol of freedom during the French Revolution. No matter what one sees when looking at the odd conical formation, it is an extinct hot spring cone. Mammoth Hot Springs is a very dynamic landscape with relatively young rock formations dotted around. From Liberty Cap one gets a good view of the lower terraces of the hot springs above with steaming water running down the hill over formations that look like melted layer cakes in various shades of brown, yellow, green, and white. To see them all we will start making our way to the lower terraces but I recommend also taking a hike later, or in the winter, using snowshoes, to go a short way up the Beaver Pond Trail along Clematis Creek, to the Howard Eaton Trail that in turn will take you to the upper terraces. 
Doing it that way, you'll walk by the backside of several interesting features like the narrow gauge terrace and come out of the woods for a dramatic view of the entire area looking down. Today, however, we'll make our way up the boardwalk and meet at Minerva Terrace. Stop two, Minerva Terrace. On your way up to Minerva Terrace, you might have seen a buffalo or elk. They use the geothermal features at Yellowstone for several purposes, from the minerals that they provide to especially enjoying the warmth that they, they give on cold winter days and nights. In fact, one of the best times to view wildlife in the park is in May when most roads in the, are open so that you can visit geothermal sites in the center of Yellowstone's giant caldera. And there you will no doubt that time of year see buffalo lumbering through the hot springs and elk grazing on the early season shoots of plants warm in the microclimates made possible there. Minerva Terrace demonstrates the dynamic geological processes at play in the Mammoth Hot Springs. You might think that the cascades of travertine rock around the boardwalk had been there for millennia or longer. However, most of it formed in the 1990s, and one of the most active years in historical memory was in 1971, when large sections of the formation, Minerva Terrace, took place. And it took shape. Some years, Minerva Terrace has been completely dry, while during others, water heated far down in the Earth's crust bubbled up to the surface and cascades down Minerva's naturally crafted pools. These pools in the whole area are named for the Roman goddess of artists and sculptors, Minerva. Those unpredictable changes take place for the same reason that formations on the surface change so rapidly. Because the subsurface structures through which water flows also changes due to volcanic activity. Sometimes creating new flow paths and bringing water into areas of high heat, other times closing them off or taking the water away from those same areas. In other words, it's just as dynamic below the surface as it is here above. Let's continue the tour now at Jupiter and Mound Terraces, just a few steps to our south. Stop three, Mound and Jupiter Terraces. You can see that Mound and Jupiter Terraces exhibit some of the most beautiful colors in Mammoth Hot Springs. Long periods of inactivity have allowed the rock to weather, erode, and change color, only to change again as water once again flows over the terraces. In the 1980s, so much water flowed through Mound and Jupiter that the boardwalk you are standing on right now was underwater at various times. Then, sometimes in activity for decades, Mound and Jupiter have often been bone dry, giving us a particularly good look at the travertine rock formations. So what is this travertine rock? Is it something you can see around your neighborhood, town, or local park? Probably not, and that is one of the things that is so distinct about Yellowstone National Park and Mammoth Hot Springs in particular. Travertine is a sedimentary rock formed when geothermally heated water dissolves limestone, otherwise known as calcium carbonate. And the water deposits those minerals on the surface. Limestone is made up of the skeletal remains of marine organisms, such as coral and mollusks. So what you're seeing all around you is the beautifully recycled remnants of animals that lived in an ancient sea. 
And one of the things that makes Mammoth Hot Springs even more remarkable is that the rock features of Mammoth are almost completely made up of travertine. The hot springs in most of Yellowstone are made up of rhyolite and other rocks. And that's why they look different. So you're fortunate today to see this rare rock as it is being made. And while you may not see it around your yard or local park, you might see it in your home. Travertine remains a popular stone for countertops and floors. In fact, those who worshipped Jupiter and Minerva, the Romans, were particularly fond of using it in their homes and palaces. Let's conclude our tour by visiting two sites on the upper terraces. Stop 4. New Highland Terrace Look around at all the dead trees. Why do you think they're dead? And why aren't there new ones popping up to replace them? If you guessed that they died because their water supply shut off, you're correct. From the 1950s to the 1960s, this area was extremely active. The springs brought enough water to thin patches of soil in the cracks and margins of the travertine formations to sustain trees. And then the natural spigot shut off, and it became the travertine desert that you see. Although in 2011, some activity returned to New Highland Terrace. And who knows, if you revisit in a few decades, you might see new trees growing here again. Take a look up the hillside now. Notice how just beyond New Highland Terrace, the entire hill is forested with healthy trees that form a thick blanket on up the mountainsides, as far as you can see. That is exactly what all of Mammoth Hot Springs looked like before the springs started to bubble up and deposit their richly colored rocks, pools, and fumaroles up and down the hillside. What's a fumarole? It's that hole in the rock where steam billows out. Listen closely to one of them and you can hear water bubbling inside. Smell closely and you might wish that you didn't. Fumaroles emit carbon dioxide, which is odorless at low concentrations, but smells acidic at higher concentrations. Hydrogen chloride, which smells a lot like vinegar. Sulfur dioxide, which is highly pungent. And hydrogen sulfide, which smells like rotten eggs. A fact to which you can attest after visiting Mammoth Hot Springs today. However, Mammoth Hot Springs is far more visually appealing than it is olfactorily off-putting. So let's end our tour with one of the most beautiful springs in the park, Orange Spring Mound. Stop five, Orange Spring Mound. Our final stop. Orange Spring Mound is forming as water streaming out of several vents on its top and sides produces growing layers of travertine, producing a mound very much like the one we started at Liberty Cap. However, there are a few noticeable differences. One is the shape. Some visitors describe Orange Spring Mound as an inside-out cave. The other difference is that unlike Liberty Cap, which is no longer being fed by an active thermal spring and thus lo no longer growing. Watching Orange Spring Mound, you see the springs in action, forming new layers of orange travertine and formations along the side that look like melted candles. 
Why do you think Orange Spring Mound is orange, though? You might think that perhaps when it was dry, it was baked by the sun. Or maybe it has something to do with a particular type of minerals dissolved by the boiling water that runs up over the surface to form these latest layers of travertine. Those would be fine guesses. But it's actually because of living creatures in the water. Thermophiles. Thermophiles give it that unique orange color. Thermophiles, including bacteria and other microorganisms, thrive in extreme temperatures. In fact, geologist Bruce Folk and his team discovered no less than 221 unique species of bacteria here in the Mammoth Hot Springs. So although this might look like more of an exotic world of just stone and water, is actually rich with diverse forms of life, many of which are not found anywhere else on Earth. So we're fortunate to have it in our nation's backyard. And I was fortunate to have the chance to share this information with you today. Now, as we end, please be careful as you make your way down the hill to your cars. And remember to never walk off of the boardwalks and mark trails. These geothermal features and crust around them are very fragile. And you can damage them for future visitors and put yourself at risk as well. And don't forget to look over to your right as you head up the road to Mammoth Hot Springs Visitor Station. On the opposite side of the road from Liberty Cap, you'll see the aptly named Opal Terrace, a formation so active that it threatens the historic Reamer House next to it. Opal lays down up to a foot of travertine a year, causing a conundrum for park managers as the park's geological and architectural heritage come into contact. Designed by famed architect Robert Reamer and built in 1908 as an example of Frank Lloyd Wright's prairie-style architecture, the building might either have to be relocated, destroyed, or they could choose to excavate part of the Opal Terrace to protect the structure. And so I'll leave you with one final question. As you drive out of the Mammoth Hot Springs on your way out of the park and see the beautiful Reamer House and Opal Terrace, if you were the park official in charge of making the decision to preserve one or the other intact, what would you do? It's not that far-fetched a question, and it's sort of the question that we all ask ourselves or should be asking ourselves all the time. After all, Yellowstone belongs to all of us, as do all of America's public lands. And I hope you enjoyed your visit to the Mammoth Hot Springs of Yellowstone National Park today. That completes our four-part series on Yellowstone National Park. In coming weeks, I'll continue to bring you environmental news from around the United States and world, but the main focus will move from Yellowstone to various local, state, and national parks and wilderness areas here in Minnesota, where University of Minnesota students are hard at work on their discovery, inquiry, advocacy, and interpretive fieldworks and reports. It is possible that during that time we'll put together a show or two from elsewhere in the country as well travel permitting. But this spring, most of the focus of the field report portion of the podcast will be podcasted right here from parks and other public lands in Minnesota. So until next week, I hope you have a chance to enjoy and protect a public land park area.